Welcome to Ottawa Valley Vineyard, where we simply want to help you encounter Jesus, be transformed, and share his love. Seth and Aaron, thanks for being able to, to read that for us. And uh, yeah, I have the uh, I have the privilege of being um, being able to share with you guys this morning. Uh, if you're new tuning in, my name is Jake, and I uh, preach occasionally here, and I'm excited to do that today. And uh, I know Matt chose a difficult passage last week, and uh, and this and this those scriptures that Seth and Aaron just read for us might be a little bit difficult to hear as well. They're um, pretty pretty strong language, pretty stern, I guess especially in James's case, in the passage we just read from the book of James in the Bible, especially kind of dramatic language or a strong warning, perhaps. And um, Pastor Aaron asked me if, if I wanted to preach, um, maybe I think he let me know maybe about a week ago, and I was starting to consider uh, the opportunity, and I felt God say, yes, I want you to do that. And, and he led me to these passages. And um, I had been thinking about these passages for some time recently, um, actually because totally total transparency here is because I don't understand them. And uh, that might be the, you know, something you don't expect to hear from a preacher right at the beginning of his sermon is, hey, what I'm about to teach about, um, I don't understand, but, uh, you know, I'm following God. That's what he said to do. So, um, yeah, I've been thinking recently about, you know, what does it mean to, to be in the world and not of it? That's my title that you'll see right here. And that's um, a phrase. It's not actually a direct quote from the Bible, but Jesus says that his disciples are not of the world. And in those passages that Seth and Aaron just read for us, we hear that friendship with the world puts us in opposition to God. It makes us at enmity with him. And in the John passage, it says that if we love the world, the love of the Father can't be in us. And I was thinking about what does that practically, what does that mean? What does that practically look like? There's things in, there's things in my life that I enjoy. There's things in this world that a lot of us would just say, you know, God made that and he made me to, to like and enjoy these things. How could I you know, is it wrong to enjoy those things or is it wrong to love those things? What does it practically look like to be in the world and not of it? And that's the question I want to answer this morning. That's what I want to dig into. And um, I, like I said, I'm starting humbly by just saying, I don't know that I have all the answers. I don't know that I'll be able to give a, you know, a case-by-case -case answer for everyone's life. But I do feel like the Lord has something for us today that's really going to guide us in this. And I think it's it's been amazing preparing for this. Let's just go ahead and jump in. I I want to shout back to a point that Matt made in his sermon last week. If you didn't get a chance to hear what Matt had to say, I really encourage you. Uh, it really blessed me. It was an amazing word. And um, one of the points that Matt made last week was that not everything we desire is a good thing, which can be counterintuitive because you might say, well, if I want this, God must have made me to desire it. Therefore, I should just go for it. And, you know, maybe it doesn't surprise us that no one would actually say it's a healthy thing to let, let's take it. Let's take food for an example. Um, if you just ate everything you ever desired food wise without any restriction whatsoever, no one would say, Hey, that's a really healthy thing. That's a great idea. Right. Yet at the same time, we can, like I said, it can seem right to us that, you know, if, if I desire this, it must be natural for me. We think that way sometimes. And, um, I wanted to, expand on that point that Matt started to talk about last week. And I want to start by, by reading another scripture from the book of Matthew. This is Jesus talking, and he says, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So let's think about these desires on our heart. Let's think about what Jesus is saying here, that he's saying, if you try and save your life, in, the, in, in other words, our human life, this hundred year long life we have in our human bodies, 
Um, he's saying that if you hang on to your, your human life, you'll lose it. But if you actually give it up for his sake, you'll find it. Um, this got me thinking, and I think it speaks to that same point Matt was trying to make. And the Bible is actually making a claim about our, our created intent, what we were designed to do, what we were, our, our, our DNA, it's in our, it's in our design. Um, if we are a creation, if you and I are, if, if God is our creator and we are his creation, um, he, he knows better what's, what's best for us. He's designed us and knows what's intended for us. And, and this has really helped me understand something is that Jesus isn't trying to be a killjoy here. He's not saying don't enjoy life. I don't think James is saying that or John is saying that. I think that they're warning us about something in this world that seems like it's, seems like it's what we're made for, but it's actually not the case. Jesus is saying here that we were actually made to lose our lives for his sake. He's not being a killjoy. He's making a stated, he's, he's stating a truth about what we were made for. If you think about the Bible as being a, uh, the, the, the instruction manual, right? I think about a, if you buy a microwave, um, it comes with an instruction manual. And in that instruction manual, it would tell you that if you put tinfoil in the microwave, it's going to break the microwave. That's just, it's, it's, the microwave was not designed to have metal in it. And in, in our instruction manual, human beings, the instruction manual from God, he's saying that if you live for you first, that if you live just seeking your own passions, your own pleasures, it's going to harm you. I don't think that God's actually trying to take something away from you. I think he's trying to save us in this message. In our created design, we weren't made to live for us first. We, let, me, let me put this kind of bluntly and just, I hope this helps us think, is that, is that we weren't made for us. You weren't made for you. Of course, there's a lot in this life that we enjoy. It's not that life's a, a drag or something, but ultimately our focus, our priority was never meant to be just what's best for me. And God's not a killjoy, like I said. He's actually calling us to wholeness, to, to fullness. He's, he's trying to show us what we were really made for. It's, it will fit like a glove if you lose your life for his sake, because you'll find real fulfillment. You'll find what you were really made for. You'll find something that really satisfies you deeply. I want to take us back and just think about at the beginning of the Bible, in the Garden of Eden, we see human beings walking for a period, Adam and Eve, walking for a period with God before they had been separated from God by sin. And, and, and that relationship they had with God, it says that they walked with God in the cool of the day. And, and that's, that, that was before there was ever any separation between humans and God. That's what we were made for. We were made to live for him, with him in relationship. What Adam and Eve lost in the garden was their identity, and what they inherited was themselves. I want to say that again. What Adam and Eve lost in the garden was their identity, and what they inherited was themselves. It shouldn't come as a surprise to us that a lot of us are living, looking to find ourselves in things. We build our identity on anything we can find. We, we're trying to define ourselves. We're trying to find something. There's a, there's a sense that this will give me satisfaction and we kind of chase the next thing. We've all lost what God is saying is our original created identity where, where we are his children and he's our God. You see, in, in, in the garden, when Adam and Eve took that fruit, this is what separated them from God. The step of disobedience, they ate this fruit that was from the tree called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What they did there was more than just eating a fruit that was technically bad. God, this isn't petty. What they did was they said that we want to decide, we want to know for ourselves what's right and wrong. We want to define that for ourselves and we want to be gods unto ourselves. 
they severed their very relationship. They were made to have God as their God who, who showed them and guided them and told them what was right and wrong for them. But they said, we want to know this for ourselves. We want to be gods unto ourselves. So they inherited themselves. And, and we, each of us, if we look at our own lives, has this disposition where we live for, we have selfish interest. You know, we, we, we live for ourselves first. That's our, we have this condition, this, we call it a sinful nature sometimes. And Jesus is saying that if you lose your life for his sake, you'll, you'll find who you really are. You'll, through Jesus, you can be restored back to that, that your, your original created intended identity, your intended purpose. That's for everybody here. A lot of us listening have made that choice to say, God, I want to, I want, I want you, I want to turn from this life where I'm first and I want to give you my life. We often call Jesus the Lord of our life. And that means kind of like in the garden of Eden, where he leads us, he guides us. We actually follow in obedience. And, and I want you to know that God is, 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 loves us so much. And that's available to each and every one of you. If you're the, if you feel like you're you know, statistically the biggest mess on this live stream right now, your life's a total wreck. I want you to know that you don't have to wait to clean up your life before you can be restored back to who you were always made to be. Because Jesus suffered, we just talked about this at Easter, because Jesus suffered and took that on our behalf, we can live as if we had never sinned before. We can resume and start to live a life where it's like we're back in the Garden of Eden in a sense. And listen, we recognize that this life is still broken. We recognize that our lives aren't perfect yet. We're being transformed, but we're restored back. And who God sees us as is as sons and daughters. We're restored back to our true identity, our true purpose, where we live for his sake. He and his kingdom, who he is, championing who he is becomes our top priority. The question that rules our lives isn't, isn't what do I want to do? It's not what do I feel like? It's not what's going to give me the most pleasure. That's not the top question. It's not wrong to enjoy things, but the top question becomes less about self and more about others seeing that life with God is what we were originally made for. There's this big deception that, that tries to go against that. We, read, uh, we started by reading James chapter 4, and uh, like I said, it was, it was a warning. There's some strong language in here. And I won't reread the whole thing. That was verses. I'm gonna, I, want, I want us to get to verse 5, and I want to I go to my second point here and make something really clear. Just for some context, let me, let me jump back to the beginning of verse, uh, the end of verse 4 as a reminder. It says, Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. But don't stop there. Check out verse 5. He says, or do you suppose that it, it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? It's important to read our Bibles, guys, but it, sometimes we've got to slow down until we get it. It's, it's important to read a lot, but I want us to catch this. He yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. I hope you hear this morning, even if this is a new concept to you, that God is jealous and longs for you. He, he wants relationship with you. He wants you. When James, James uses this strong language, he says, you adulterous people right there in verse four. And, and I, I think adultery is a strong, maybe a scary concept for us, but it's, but there's a truth in that, that especially for those of us who've made a conscious commitment to Christ, um, you know, what Jesus says, the greatest commandment is the love to love the Lord, our God with all that we are. I'm paraphrasing that, but our, all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. And, 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 and God, 
wants that from us. And when we start to live for ourselves or love something more than him, it's, it's a violation of covenant. It can be, it could be understood like adultery in a sense. We were made to love him first. He longs for that for us, for our sake. It's for, it will be better for us and for everyone. If we had God in his rightful place in our relation, in our lives, if we had a, a, a life and a relationship with him where he's first in everything, he yearns jealously over us. And I want to pause, and this is really my second point, because I'm just going to share a bit of my life personally here and, and make some, I hope to make something really clear. Um, there was a time in my life when the question that really ruled my life was, what did I feel like doing? And there was a lot of pain in my life that truthfully I was coping with. I, there was things in my life, and you could, you could look at my life in one perspective at the time that I'm referring to, kind of in my teenage years and the end of high school. You could look at my life and say, well, there's a guy that's living for his passions and pleasures. There's a guy who doesn't have any concept of what it would look like to live for God first or to love God with everything he was. And one way to interpret what we're reading in the scripture this morning would be to say, well, this guy, this guy needs to hear this warning. This guy is way wrong. He needs to get right. But I don't want us to think in those terms. I want us to understand. I want to tell you about the Jesus I encountered in my life when I was living that way, because God didn't try and threaten me into a new life. The truth was I, I, I did look forward to playing, except I was a video game addict. I played so much video games that I got carpal tunnel at the age of 21. I can account for well over a year of my life in 24 hour day periods on my video game, on video games before I was the age of 20. Um, I was an addict. I, I, I used to like escaping my mind. I would smoke weed or I liked whiskey. You know, I would escape my mind and that's what I would look forward to. That's what got me through my week. But I didn't meet a God who said, Jake, if you don't stop these things, you have no place with me. That's not what God said to me. God, God saw where I was at and he saw that that was what I knew to get me through. That's all. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't have a vision for what it meant to love God. I didn't know what it meant that God loved me, even though I had heard it probably hundreds of times. God slowly won me over by loving me first. Because you see, there's something that you have to catch here that in the book of 1 John, it says that we love because he first loved us. In other words, this command that Jesus says, where he says to love the Lord, your God with everything you are, he's not expecting us to be able to do that without his help. He's not saying until you love me with everything you are, you can't come to me. Don't get this wrong. That was not the Jesus that changed my life. Jesus wanted to show me his love for me. And that slowly changed me. I started to love him more and to stop. I stopped needing to get my me time with hours and hours of video games the same way as I started to be transformed by encountering the love of God. God wanted to show me what it meant that he, that, that I could live a life too, where I loved him with everything I was. So you could be thinking of yourself this morning and really the value of what we're talking about will, will, will really come with introspection. And you could look at your own life and say, maybe, you know, what is my top priority? What gets me through my week? What do I look forward to? What do I think about most? And you could feel like, well, something's out of whack here, but I don't want you to hear condemnation from the Lord. I want you to hear an invitation. I want you to hear an invitation and, and what God, I believe is saying, what he said to me in my addictions and what he says to me, even now in my life, I'm still not, I'm under construction. And what he says to each of us is I want to show you a new way to live. He understands that if we don't understand that we don't necessarily see a vision for what it could look like in our everyday lives to live with him first, to live as loving him first, because I want this to become guys, something that's not just a concept, something that's not just a, a, a distant disconnected idea. Um, 
I, I want this to be something that's actually in our workplace every week, that there's a, there, there's, that you in your workplace, in your skin, in your family, that me and my actual life could live with God first, could live loving him with, with everything, that I, everything that I possibly could give. God wants that place in our lives and he wants to show us how it looks. So I hope that that's my second point today is just that I hope you don't hear condemnation. I hope you don't feel like you can't come to him if you're not loving. He's not saying, well, if you don't love me enough, don't bother. He's saying, if, if, he's saying look at your life and what do you love most? And I want to invite you to a, a, a stronger place to live. I want to invite you and show you who, really, who you really are and what you're made for. I hope you feel safe to come to him today. I hope you feel like if you're a mess, that's who Jesus, you know, that's who Jesus came to help. Um, I'm thinking about the practicality of what it looks like for each of us to live loving God with everything we are, to not be, what does it look like for us to not be a friend of the world in James? And what does it look like for us to not love the world and, and have the love of God in us? And I was thinking about, God, what are some practical examples of this? And all that I'm talking about thus far reminded me of this proverb that says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. I think, I think the proverb is saying the same thing that Jesus did, that it, it can seem right to us to hang on to our own lives and live for us first, but it's actually going to harm us. If we, it, you know, there's, there's things that can seem right to us that are tinfoil in the microwave and that actually hurt us. And um, so I'm asking God, I'm saying, God, I, wanna, I want people to have a practical vision of what this could look like in our everyday lives. I'm praying about this and God gives me this story to share from the book of John that I couldn't believe that it was the example he wanted me to give. So I um, anyway, this is, this is where I felt led to speak this morning. And I want to, I want to just give us a practical example. I want to show us one example of something that can seem right to us, but isn't God's heart, isn't his desire. Okay. So I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, and then I'm going to get you to the heart of the matter, but it's my third point. And, um, it's a story that some of you may be familiar with, but it's, uh, from the Bible, it's from the gospels. Jesus and his disciples are, are on a long journey. Um, they conclude this long journey and it's been a long one. They're pretty tired. Jesus sits down beside a well and he's thirsty. He asks a Samaritan woman if he, if he could have a drink, could you get some water for me? And there's a lot you could say about this story because it's pretty controversial that Jesus would talk to a woman to begin with and talk to a Samaritan woman was like really just countercultural for them in that time. It was different. And um, Jesus proceeds to have a conversation with this woman that ends up changing the whole town. Jesus actually prophesies about this woman's life. He's given supernatural knowledge about her that he couldn't have known unless God had told him some of these things. So um, this woman, is her mind's blown, and she goes and tells the whole village. And to paraphrase a little bit, the, the whole village is transformed, and the whole village ends up professing Jesus as, as, as this must be the son of God. Jesus is just casually changing a village is maybe a way to summarize what's going on here. But I want to point us to the disciples because Jesus was getting some water and he's, meanwhile, he's changing a whole village and the disciples come back from the market. They were gone to go get some food. Here's what they say. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Interesting. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. I thought this was really interesting. They've been on a long journey. Jesus has already said he's thirsty. They're probably pretty hungry. And the disciples are actually urging Jesus, Jesus, have this sandwich. You, you, we've been on a long journey. You need these calories right now. 
And he says something really peculiar. He says, I, I have food to eat that you do not know about. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And I thought this was so interesting. This is something, this is an example in our lives of something that can seem pretty logical to us. It's a way that seems right to a man. But, but Jesus is saying, let me, let me unpack this. Jesus is saying that the energy for me to reach this town is not going to come from a burrito or a sandwich. I don't, I don't need the food that you're offering me. What's driving me, what's sustaining me, what's empowering me to do this is, is something different. It's actually the motivation I have, the calories and energy I need is coming from doing the will of him who sent me and accomplishing his work. And I really encourage you to read the, the context around this story because Jesus goes on to say, I wish that you would open your eyes and see that the fields are ripe for harvest. And it's, it's a metaphor. What, what does Jesus mean? He means, I wish that you guys would see that this message that we've come to this town to bring, these people need so bad. I wish that you would see that these people need to know that they can be reconciled to God, that the kingdom of God has come near, that I am, I am the way back, that I have come. I wish that you guys would see this. That's what he's saying to his disciples. That was the motivation that Jesus need to go change a t- needed to go change a town. It wasn't going to come from sandwiches. And I want to make this really clear that Jesus isn't anti-food. It's not Jesus dines and sups with people all the time. I love the word sup, by the way. It's a verb I think we should use more. Uh, I'm going to go sup tonight. It just means to eat supper, I think. Jesus isn't anti-food. Don't get this wrong. There's times when God will call us to fast. There's times when God, and I think in a sense, all the time, God is calling us to more than just the energy from our dinner to have the energy it takes to carry out what he's called us to do. There's a, there's a more powerful motivation for us. In a sense, God and what it can look like in our lives to love God with everything we are, is it, 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 it's that motivation we need to go, to go change a village, if, if you want to think of it that way, or to just, let's get practical, to, to open up about your faith to a coworker, or to, um, to follow God's leading when he's leading you to go talk to somebody or to give to somebody, and you don't know why you're giving them that money or you don't know why you're reaching out and talking to somebody. There's, there's a bigger vision. There's a bigger energy. Um, God meaning everything to us. God being first starts to look like this. It starts to look like a life where you're not just sustained by what we think in a sense is our sustaining power. It's the food that Jesus knew about that he wants us to know about too. It's a part of what it looks like to live life in this kingdom. It's a part of what it looks like to love him with everything we are. And again, it's, it's not anti-food. This isn't all the time, but there's times when God would lead us that way. Um, I'm going to be transitioning to my conclusion pretty soon. And um, I, hope, uh, I, I hope I've given us at least some food for thought this morning. I think God's heart is for us to have a moment of introspection and, and to just say, to just ask pretty humbly and honestly, like, what's most important to me? Not in a condemning way, like I was expressing earlier, not in a way that God's trying to condemn you. But to just honestly evaluate, is, is God everything to me? And I believe that God's inviting each of us to allow him to mean more to us. Jesus had this vision in his relationship with God when he, where, where what God was doing was his motivating factor. That's what he was looking forward to. That's what meant most to him. And it's not about, like I was saying before, it's not about not eating. It's not about not enjoying life in certain ways. But it's an evaluation of what is most important to us. What's, what are we looking forward to? What do we think about most? What's our, what's our motivation in life? God says that we love because he first loves us. And I believe there's an invitation for each of us this morning to, to say, God, can you show me how you love me? 
You know, you're saying that this is my created design, that it's, that it's going to harm me, that it's tinfoil in the microwave if I live for me first. If, if, if my passions and pleasures are what's my top priority, you're saying that that's not what I was made for. You're saying that there's an invitation to, for me personally through the forgiveness and resurrection of Jesus Christ for me to live for you, to live in a relationship with you where you're, I, I love you more than anything. And that's what I need. That's what I need more than I need a sandwich sometimes. That's what I need more than I need video games or, or, or um, relief from, you know, whatever coping mechanism, you name it. There's an invitation before each of us and that, that, that's available to each of us. The question isn't, um, are we going to get our stuff together before we come to him? The question is, are you open and are you willing to hear? And um, I, I, was, I was thinking about, man, I was, I was so excited preparing this. It's such a cool idea that the, the life we were made for, the, the, the abundant life that God has made for us is available to us. And it begins by saying, God, would you show me how you love me? I want to know that you're real. I, I, I need more of you. That's all of that is available to each of us today. And I was, and, um, I was again in prayer this week, thinking about practically God, what does this look like? How do I help us translate this from some distant concept into our everyday life? And the best way I've figured how to describe this, it came from an old hymn, came from an old hymn. And we're going to, um, in just a few minutes, we're just going to take a time of response, but here's the hymns lyrics before we sing it. Okay. Catch this. This is, this is where I found my answer. Here's this hymn. It says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. A lot of what I'm talking about this morning is, is those things of the world growing strangely dim. You don't need to be afraid to give up your coping mechanisms because if I'm honest in my life, when I was getting by with weed and video games and looking forward to just what I knew gave me life or so I thought, it was a scary thought, the idea of giving some of these things up or letting them become lesser of a priority in my life. I want you to know that I've experienced and lived it personally, that the things of this world start to grow strangely dim when you encounter the love of the risen Jesus. It just, it, it feels safe when you see him. Don't be afraid to ask him. Don't be afraid to say, God, is there more of this for me? Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of Ottawa Valley Vineyard, visit ovv.ca.